Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity to come and to just share your word. And Lord, I pray that you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive what it is that you are speaking to us this morning. God, then we submit and surrender ourselves to you. God, I thank you even for this message that I believe you gave me. But God, we yield to your spirit in the service. Lord, that you would come and have your way. God, plow our heart to receive your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So, uh, so it's, it's a great word. Guys, you guys are going to love this word, okay? I promise you, you're going to love it. So if you feel like I'm uh, chastising you a little bit, it's okay. Right? The Lord chastises those whom he loves. If he wasn't correcting you or calling you up higher, then, then maybe you're not a part of his plan. But I believe that everyone in this room today, the Lord has called you here because you are a part of what it is that he's establishing. And so the, I believe the Lord is actually uh, preparing his bride. And he's calling us up higher to mature. And Pastor Zach's been saying this a lot lately. But he's calling us up to maturity. He's calling us up higher. And uh, there was a... Uh, in, a, in a prophetic team meeting a couple months ago, um, Jeff Daniels, we were, we were spending some time in the yielding, and the Lord gave him this word, um, uprising or uprising. And I think it depends on how we respond to what the Lord is doing. Our flesh wants us to, to have an uprising, like we're going to uh, rise up and we're going to you know, fight. Um, but I think the Lord is actually calling us to rise up. Okay, And there's a different perspective there and what he's doing in us um, in this season. So uh, I'm going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 6. And I, so, again, okay, I'm, I'm a teacher. So this morning I've prepared some slides. All right, there's going to be a lot of uh, definitions and words and things like that, the way we're going to break this down. So if you like to take notes, today is a great Sunday to take notes. Um, I'm probably going to move fast. Where's Lilia? I'm probably going to move fast. So, so you might want to go back and watch the live stream so you can hit pause between points and take notes. But I've given some words up on the screen to help you guys with some, some of what we're going to be talking about today. So I gave this message a title, and the title of this message is The Posture to Pursue the Promises and the Power of God. The Posture to Pursue the promises, and the power of God. I'm going to be teaching out of the NASB, but every once in a while I might flip to new living for some language, okay? So just bear with me with that. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're only going to look at three and a half verses. Three and a half verses. And if you're in my, any of my School of the Spirit classes, I have four pages of notes. So that's about seven hours of teaching, but I'm going to do it in one service, all right? With the Lord's help, I'm going to do it in one service. So, so let's look at this. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to be reading starting in verse 10. It says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, dot, dot, dot. We're going to stop right there for the moment. Therefore, stand firm. 
So it's really important to understand context as you really get into Scripture. Number one, it is vital that you as a Christian understand Israel. You understand the Jews to fully be able to understand a lot of the language of what's happening here. It's also important to understand culture and the time in which these letters were written. When, when something is written that is prophetic, it was, it was relevant to that moment, relevant today, and relevant for the future. You need to understand that. And, and even in this letter, Paul is writing in a time where Rome was the, the dominant power. So there's a lot of understanding, there's a lot of language, there's a lot of like pictures being painted that are relevant to the culture of that day, but we have to understand what it actually means for us today. And so we need to really uh, see what's taking place here. So let's start with the first word, chapter, of, uh, chapter six, verse 10. Finally, we're gonna pause on that word for a second. Finally, all right? So, so the word finally is a Greek phrase. Right? It's, to us, again, in English, we like look at one word and we're like, what's the definition of that word? But in a lot of foreign languages, it's especially Greek, but even more Hebrew, there's always this like better understanding. It's like the word is actually painting a picture of how we're supposed to relate and respond to that word. So this first word is finally. And this word finally is a Greek phrase that can be translated as something like this. After everything I've said, if you were to remember anything in this letter that I wrote you, this is the most important thing. And I saved it for last so that it will stay fresh in your mind. And uh, I'm in the middle of studying and preparing a class for School of the Spirit called Spiritual Warfare that I'm going to be teaching next semester. So this teaching kind of comes out of that. There's going to be some other stuff that's brought into it, but I've, as I've been studying this and looking through the language of spiritual warfare, the Lord is really bringing this out. And there's a pastor that I was reading some of his stuff, and, and uh, his name's Rick Renner, and this is the way he actually wrote this about this word finally. It's as if Paul is saying right now, for you, in this moment, spiritual warfare and spiritual weaponry or taking authority over your flesh and the devil is the most important thing. You need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So last week, Pastor Zach was talking about turning our swords into plowshares and our spears into pruning hooks which is really what I believe the Lord is doing in this house, in this season. But in order for us to, to understand that, we have to really take a look at spiritual warfare because simultaneously, if this church, if we really truly believe the Lord has anointed us to make an impact in this region, that the Lord has called us to open a school, a K through 12 school that is different than the rest of the world. If, the, if we really truly believe that the Lord has called us to open a health and wellness center that, that uh, foregoes the common uh, uh, so socialized medicine practice of today and be different, do you not for one second think it's not gonna come without opposition? But then the enemy shows up and we're like running for the hills. Or we're like, oh, I'm just under attack right now. 
the enemy's attacking me. We gotta, if you really believe that the Lord has called us to do this, we need to step up into what God has called us to. So even though Pastor Zach's message that he preached last week is 100% true, we still have to understand what does that mean? If we're turning our swords into plowshares, how are we supposed to fight? So we're going to talk about it because there's a posture that the Lord is looking for. Our flesh, what we want to do to fight is we want to take that sword and we want to get on our white horse and we're going to charge the enemy and we're going to go cut his head off. And the whole time Satan's going, yeah, come on and get me. Let that anger rise up inside of you. As Dave Andrade might say, the enemy's drooling at the thought that we're going to get so angry that we're actually going to charge after him and, and, and uh, attack him in battle. It's so important that our posture is correct in this. And when we start reading this, I'm going to show you Paul lays out our posture because we're still in the battle. In fact, if we say yes to the call, the battle will actually get more fierce. The fighting will actually increase in the spirit. But if we don't have a sword, how are we going to fight? This is how we're going to fight, okay? We're going to talk about this today. But it's so important to understand what Paul's saying here. He's talking to the church of Ephesus. These Ephesians, when you read through these letters to different churches, there's one thing really important we have to understand, that this book of Ephesians is chock full of theology and doctrine for the mature believer. The church in Ephesus was a very mature and well-educated church. Kind of like New England. We know a lot. We know a lot. But you see here in, in this book, like, like Paul is writing this letter to the, the, the church of Ephesus. And, and to see this and to think that at the end of the last part of this letter, he says, okay, after everything that we just discussed, after all the stuff that I addressed, this, this information, this part of this letter to you, I'm saving until the end. Because for right now, you need to understand this more than any of it, which is shocking because I'm gonna, let's just talk about this for one second that the book of Ephesians, these are the things that, that Paul's talking to them about. Chapter one, he's talking about election and predestination and adoption into the kingdom and the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Chapter two, the wonderful grace of God. Chapter three, the eternal plan for, of God for the church. Chapter four, the fivefold ministry and the unity in the church. Chapter five, the relationship between husbands and wives and being filled with the Holy Spirit. Chapter six, the relationships between parents and children and employers and employees. It's, it's like Ephesians is loaded with important theological and doctrinal ideas that we need to understand and embrace. But finally... This, this, this piece of, of wisdom, this revelation that I'm about to share with you, in this time, you've got to get it. You've got to understand the power of what I'm trying to explain to you. You've got to understand the posture and how you're going to fight. Because if you align yourself with chapters one, two, three, four, five, and half of six, and you start actually living in that truth, you have to learn how 
we're going to fight the enemy. So, so again, Ephesians was well taught and full of knowledge, but they were behaving in ways that were opening them up for spiritual attack. See, only like a ch- two chapters prior in chapter 4, verses 25 through 32, we actually see him addressing some areas that they've opened themselves up for attack. And ironically, over the last year, through a lot of prophetic words and dreams and visions, we've had some warning against some of this stuff that, that Paul's addressing to the church of Ephesus. Starting in verse 25, you see him talking about speaking truth and love. Verses 26 and 27, I'm just going to paraphrase a couple of this. Verses 26 and 27, it says, don't sin in your anger because it gives the enemy a foothold. This is a military term, a foothold. You're giving the enemy, you're actually, when you sin in your anger, and you let the sun go down on that anger, and you don't make it right between the Lord and between the other person, all this time you've been standing at your border trying not to let the enemy in. And when you sin in your anger, or any other sin for that matter, you actually back off when you sin, and you give the enemy that ground. He comes in and he fills in that space between you and what you've been guarding, and he takes a little bit of space. And he'll take that little bit of space right there, and he's like, just don't mind me. Don't mind, I'm, nothing to see here. And then as we continue to go on and we continue to sin, we keep moving further and further away, and the enemy starts filling in more and more of that space. And eventually, he's taken so much ground in our lives, and we can't understand and figure out why all hell is breaking loose in our life. Because we've given the enemy ground. We've actually given him the legal right to come in and torment us. Okay, so don't sin in your anger because you're giving the enemy a foothold. Verse 28 says, stop stealing, okay? But verses 29 through 32, let me read this. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with malice. Malice is just the desire to do harm. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Might as well go into chapter five too. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. Look at this correction right here. I mean, Paul's talking about some really deep theological things like being sealed with the Holy Spirit. And he's like, but you guys are doing this stuff. The the stuff, the words that are coming out of your mouth, it's coming out of something deeper inside of you, out of your heart. And what's happening is it's actually causing division among you. 
It's actually causing space. It's allowing space for the enemy to bring an attack. You're opening yourself up. You're making yourself vulnerable to the attack of the enemy. You've been called to be an imitator of God, to walk in love and grace. But you're, you're allowing this stuff. You're living in such a way that's giving the enemy space. So, so this is the setting. This is in this letter. He's addressing this to a church that knows a lot, to a church that has been, is being taught even deeper foundational doctrinal revelation that's calling them up higher, but there's still places in them that they're allowing the enemy, and maybe they don't even realize it, but they're open to attack. So finally, they were still on the first word here. Finally, the next two words, be strong. Finally, be strong. So those, those, that, those words, be strong, it comes from a Greek word, enduo. The Greek word enduo, you got that slide? And enduo is actually a compound word, okay? Enduo, the first part of enduo is the word dunamis which is the full might of military forces most connected to the preaching of the gospel or the power of the Holy Spirit. Dunamis power. Right? And the other word, en, means in. Like pouring water into a vase. Like the pouring into. So en duo, in and the full might of military force and power. The full power has been poured in to you. So that terms finally, be strong. So it could be said like this. Finally, you have been made to be strong. The mighty power, the terrific power of, of the Lord of heaven's armies. That power is designed and ordained to function inside of you. And if you're taking notes, you can write this one down. You are the receptacle created by God to receive the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. You are the receptacle created by God to receive the mighty power of the Holy Spirit. God has ordained you and created you to be strong. Be strong. See, in... in Greek and Roman literature, when an individual was endued with power, that endowment completely transformed that person and gave them supernatural strength and abilities far surpassing what they were previously able to do. Anyone follow uh, Marvel Comics at all? You know, Spider-Man? You have Peter Parker, and he gets bit by this radioactive spider, and all of a sudden, he can jump farther and he can shoot webs and fly across the city. And then he can keep getting beat up over and over and over and over again. And he has a supernatural power that wasn't of himself. It came into him. When you were saved, you were filled with the Holy Spirit. 
but then there is a baptism in the Holy Spirit where you get filled with a power that is not of your own. And it starts to bring a transformation in you where before you could barely even stand up on your own two feet. But now when all of hell is coming against you, you can stand firm. And so we see the picture of this. Be strong. Be strong. Finally, after everything we just talked about, this is so important. Be strong. Recognize that you have been filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. So it, again, we can, well, let's reread Ephesians 6.10, and I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Ready? Finally, be filled with the mighty power of God of heaven's armies, and in the manifest, demonstrative, and eruptive power of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. This is the picture Paul is starting to paint. But hold on. <laughs> it's going to keep going here. Verse 11. Put on. Pause right there. Put on. So in the Greek, that word put on is the same word and duo. And duo actually has two definitions. The first one is to be made strong. But the second word is to clothe. Mom and dad, I'm not throwing shade on you this morning. I just want to let you know, okay? To close and duo, be strong and get dressed. To clothe yourself, to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and be clothed with the power and the strength of God inside and out. Amen. Put on the whole armor, put on the full armor of God. The picture of this is like getting dressed in the morning. When you wake up in the morning and you're thinking about your day and maybe you're praying and you're getting ready to go out and do whatever, go to work or maybe it's your day off and you have plans. Most of the time, I don't know many people, I might have one out of my children we have to remind of this, but most of the time, you don't have to remind yourself to get dressed, hopefully. If you do, some sticky notes on the bathroom mirror might be helpful for everyone else around you. But normally, we don't have to remind ourselves to get dressed. It's a part, a part of our regular routine. We get up, we take a shower, and we get dressed. We put our clothes on. But many times what we do as Christians is we go through all of these repetitious prayers to remind ourselves to put on the armor of God. But the truth is, is that if you are really filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, there is no necessarily like intentionality to say, 
I have to put on my armor. I'm not throwing shade on you. I know they've got the little booklet and they pray through the armor every day. And I'm not like, I did that when I was down in Brownsville for a little bit. But this is beyond just the repetitious prayer of reminding myself. And I put on the breastplate of righteousness. And I put, and I grab, pick up my shield of faith, right? And like you pray through this. But what's actually the revelation here, this is not vain repetition. In fact, the only repetitious activity that, that you would need to engage in to put on the armor of God is to daily go before the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, I need you more today. More than I need, had you yesterday, I need you more today. And to daily, to perpetually go before the Lord and allow the power of the Holy Spirit to fill you and wash you. And when you engage in the Holy Spirit in that way, you get up and you rise up and the armor's like clink, 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 like Iron Man. We go from Spider-Man to Iron Man, okay? <laughs> and it's like you start walking out of your bedroom and the armor literally comes over you. This is not something that you have to conjure up in yourself. In your flesh, I gotta put on my armor today because I think the enemy is gonna try to get me today. Newsflash, the enemy is perpetually trying to steal, kill, and destroy, and he will do so until he's thrown into the lake of fire, okay? So just get past that. He's always creeping around the back door, waiting for it to prop open, and he's gonna come in and rob you. That's it. Don't be surprised when he does. That's what he's doing forever. He's perpetually trying to steal, kill, and destroy. So just be ready for it. Be filled with the power of God. Put on the armor. It's not something you actually are physically doing. And I put on my helmet of salvation. And sorry, I'm not, the voices weren't to mock you. <laughs> but we don't need to do that. We need to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. You can write this down. In order to be filled with the power of God and to have the strength to carry the full weight of the armor of God, you must be living in unity with the Spirit of God. Gabe, how, do you, how much do you weigh? Are you like 140 pounds? A little less. Perfect. You want to just come over here for a second? Just stand there for a second. Come up here and stand right here for a second. All right. So Gabe and my son Shane are like, almost, Shane's a little bit taller, but I'm going to use you in a second. Just stay right there, all right? You look good. Thanks for being here today. All right. In order to be filled with the power of God and to have the strength to carry the full weight of the armor of God, you must be living in unity with the Spirit of God. So you've got to see the picture that Paul is painting here. He's talking about the full armor, the full armor of God. See, the armor, when you look at a Roman soldier, when they're dressed for battle, when they're, when they're carrying or wearing the full armor, you've got to understand what Paul is saying in this moment. See, the weight of the armor is impressive. The weight of the armor 
the actual armor itself will range somewhere between 70 and 80 pounds. And also, they'll, be ha- they'll have on a backpack or a satchel. Where's Pastor Will? They'll have on a satchel or they'll have on a backpack carrying weapons or things in them. And that satchel or that backpack will, will range somewhere to around 50 to 60 pounds. So any given soldier will be carrying the weight of like 120 to about 140 pounds of extra weight on their body. So you have to be strong enough to, to actually wear the armor. All right, you ready? I'm gonna hold, carry you. You're gonna jump on top of me, right? All right, I'm gonna give you a piggyback ride, okay? All right, ready? So you have to be strong enough to run into battle carrying the full weight of the armor of God. But the thing is, is that most of you, what's so funny? So most of you, the problem is you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit or maybe it's been a long time since you've even pursued a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. So what happens is, is that when you wake up in the morning, you're not even strong enough to carry the armor. And it actually falls off. I'm, that's good. Thanks. I appreciate it. Right? So the armor, you're actually not even strong enough to carry the armor. Never mind going to battle. And what happens is you get up in the morning and, and you're like feeble. In the spirit. And you're not even strong enough to wear the weight, to carry the weight of the armor. And then what happens is, is that the enemy comes in and you're completely defenseless. You have to be strong enough to carry the full weight of the armor. So the full armor of God. That phrase is actually a Greek word. Panoplia. Panoplia. Again, it's another compound word, panoplia, which actually is a Greek word that means all of the weapons, okay? All of the weapons. But it's broken down into a couple different words. It's actually this compound word, pan, meaning all, and hopeless, meaning weaponry, okay? And so the picture of a Roman soldier fully dressed for battle. So when when Paul says, the full armor of God, the full armor of God, put on the full armor of God, it means clothe yourself, be clothed in the power and in the might of God, but the fullness, every piece of the fullness And we see this Roman soldier with the helmet and the shield and the breastplate and this belt that goes across and these these leg-like guards that come all the way up to his knee, covering himself. And he's got a sword and he's got a spear, a lance, a spear. Your swords will turn into plowshares, your spears into pruning hooks. He's got a sword and a spear. Many times that spear is kind of slid into the back. Put on the full armor so that 
you will be able to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. Okay, that, that, those words stand firm against. We're going to talk about that for a minute. You guys following with me here a little bit? Okay. All right. Is this too much teaching? All right. Okay. Stand firm against. That term, stand firm, comes from the Greek, histemi, 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 that's what it is, histemi, histemi, which is translated to make stand, steadfast, immovable, unwavering, safe and sound and unharmed. And the picture you get is someone that goes like this. Stand firm. Stand firm. Head up, shoulders back, unwavering. Put on the full armor of God that you may stand firm. That when the enemy comes against you, it's like, no, none shall pass. <laughs> that was the Lord of the Rings. Uh, stand firm. But most of us were like, just the attacks, Pastor John. Just, I'm not mocking you, please. Just hear me. Hear my heart. Like, we get the prayer request emails. The enemy, the attack of the enemy, it's so hard. Duh. What do you think he's going to do? Um, they just lost their job and they're going through a really difficult financial season. Guys, let's just give them some breathing room. No. He's like, um, now's a great time. Now is a great time to take them out while we have a chance. Now is a great time to take them out. So stand firm. But it gets even better, right? In, at the end of verse 13, which we're not going to turn there, so don't flip the screen over there. He uses the same phrase again, stand firm. But that, that word that we just talked about, histami, it's actually the root word for this other word used in verse 13, which is anthistami, which means to withstand a united military front. And the picture we get here is when the Roman soldiers, they had their shields, right? And the shields would actually, when they came next to each other and they stand, stood alongside each other, the shields would interlock with one another. And you'd have some that were, were assigned to the overhead position and some that were assigned to the lower position. And what they would do is they would take their shields and they would lock their shields together and they would form a wall with their shields to withstand the enemy, stand firm. And, what, and the picture we get is a whole group of soldiers standing side by side, moving in unity and lockstep with their heads high and their shields in front of them locked together with no gap in between them. And what they would do is they would form a wall that the enemy could not penetrate. And in fact, many times what they would do is instead of charging them with their spears and with their swords, they would lock their shields together and they would just go, move, move. And they would push the enemy back over the line. Yeah. 
stand firm. Stand firm. And the Lord is calling us to covenant with each other. To covenant with each other. To stand in unity. To cover one another. To lock our shields side by side. But when there's malice and unforgiveness and slander, there's gaps in the formation. There's gaps in the formation. And so no longer can we withstand the attack of the enemy as a house because there's a break in the ranks. Stand firm. It's not charge ahead. It's stand firm. Stand firm. When we stand together in unity, we push the enemy back over the line. And the last part of verse 11 there, stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Let's talk about these words right here, the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil or of the enemy. That word schemes in the Greek, the word is methodia. It's the same word we get method or methodology from. It's defined as method, deceit, or trickery. And again, this is another compound word. Starts out with a meta, which means with. And hodoyo, hoduo, that's it. Hoduyo, I got like the phonetic written here. I'm like not even reading it right. I'm in the Hebrew mindset. Huduo which means to travel, to journey, or to operate with a road. Isn't that interesting? To operate with a road, to journey. And what Paul is saying here, the schemes of the devil, the schemes of the enemy, what he's saying here is the enemy has a map has a blueprint and a method that he uses to defeat you. It's not random. He attacks you with purpose and with destination. Be aware of the schemes of the enemy. There is a method. There is a blueprint. There is a road he's following. He has a GPS, and it's locked onto a specific place that he now is coming at you with a very clear purposeful, deceitful strategy. But we always read this and we go, the schemes of the devil. First of all, Satan is not attacking you. You're not that important. He's only one being, one created being. But he's got millions of minions, demonic spirits, that he assigns to attack you with purpose, with function. But let's look at this word, the schemes of the devil. The word devil right there is actually the word diabolos. And this is what diabolos is translated as, slanderous, accusing falsely, one who is opposing the cause of God, one that may act 
on behalf of the devil or on or to side with him. It's a compound word, Pastor Kurt. It's a compound word, okay, diabolos. Two parts. The first word is dia, which means to penetrate or to break through. And the second word, bolos, means to throw a ball or an object against another object. So diabolos could actually be translated as one who repetitiously strikes to penetrate or break through. Over and over and over and over and over again. Throwing a ball against another object. Diabolos, one who's working in conjunction with the purposes and the plans of the enemy to repeatedly strike you over and over and over again until they break through. Get that picture. Last week, Pastor Zach brought this up in his message. He talked about the repeating striking over and over and over again in a dream that one of our elders had and sent it to us. That, pa- <laughs> that Pastor Zach was repeatedly striking over and over and over again on something. And he talked about it in the context of his message last week. But today, I'm going to talk about it in the context of this right here. The enemy will repeatedly strike over and over and over again, but not just strike anywhere. This isn't random acts of violence. He has a roadmap. It is with purpose. There is something in each one of us. There is a soft spot in each one of us that the enemy is going to strike over and over and over and over until he breaks through. And most of the time, 99.9% of the time, his breakthrough is because we break away. We step back from standing firm. And when we step back, it opens a window of opportunity and he breaks through. (laughs) The enemy is just all over me this week. Yep. Stand firm. Stand firm. The power of the Holy Spirit in you and on you. Clothe yourself in the power and the might of the Lord of heaven's armies. And stand firm. He is repeatedly striking to break through and to penetrate. So that word devil right there, even though it's singular, this is not a name. This is a job description. That's a job description. One who is partnering with the enemy to break through. And schemes, this is the method in which they will repeatedly attack you. So what are the enemy's schemes? 
I'm not going to read all these verses, or maybe I'll flip to them, but I'm going to read them quick. You don't have to turn there if you don't, need, if you don't want to. It's okay. I'll read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. The enemy schemes, number one, A. Two, 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 11. I'll read uh, 10 through 11. But one whom you forgive everything, I also forgive you. For indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, I did it for your sakes in the presence of Christ, so that no advantage would be taken of us by Satan. For we are not ignorant to his schemes. What are his schemes? What is Paul referring to in Corinthians right there? Unforgiveness. This is a scheme of the enemy. This is a, an attack, a strategic attack against you that allows the enemy in as we give a foothold to the enemy. And the number one way we do it is through unforgiveness, bitterness, offense. I can't believe he said that to me. Offense. We take offense. We get hurt somehow, some way. Unforgiveness is the number one key to healing. You want to see healing in your life? Physically, mentally, emotionally? Forgive. We could cast a thousand demons out of you, and if you have unforgiveness, you have an automatic open door to be tormented. Unforgiveness. Bitterness, offense. This is a scheme of the enemy. If we can just get you offended, he knows he's going to break through. Let me tell you a secret that I learned about 20-something years ago. If Jesus, if you can be offended, Jesus will offend you. If you can be offended, Jesus will offend you. The schemes of the enemy, number one, Section B, Ephesians 4, 27. I've already read some of this stuff this morning. Unforgiveness, anger, malice, slander. Really, at the end of the day, anything depicted as sin in Scripture gives the enemy a foothold. So if he can tempt you enough where you just fall into sin. Listen, there's no such thing as falling into sin. You can't just fall into sin. Like I'm just, I was just walking along, minding my own business and woo, I fell into it. No, that's not what happens. You set yourself up for failure by not being filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and standing firm. And the enemy was just knocking over and over and over. And finally, he broke through. Number two, schemes of the enemy. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse three through five. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely 
powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. And we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. That term, fortress, can also be defined in some translations as strongholds, for the tearing down of strongholds. A stronghold is another military term, and that means a fortified city or fortress or position that the enemy, you have given him enough ground that he has enough acreage to build a fortress. Or he's taken, he's gone so far into your territory, he's actually taken one of your cities, fortified it, and strategically, he can attack you from that place. This is why you can't just like, overcome the sin that you've been trying to overcome for the last 35 years because the enemy still has legal right to be there and he built a stronghold that needs to be torn down and the only way you could tear down that stronghold is take the ground back which removes the foundation of the legal right to even build that fortress to begin with and then you tear it down and one of the strongholds that is talking about in here speculations imaginations we let our minds just run every which way. Take every thought captive. Anything that rises up against the knowledge of God. Some may call that pride. But that word right there, stronghold, fortress, a fortified city, can also be translated as a prison. Where is this all taking place? This is where we're fighting the battle. We're not fighting against this. We're not, I'm not fighting against you. This battle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of darkness. This is a spiritual battle that is, that is waging in your soul, over your soul. Why? Because when you get saved, the enemy can't take that from you. You're in the palm of God's hand and no one can remove, remove you from that. I'm stepping aside from the pulpit, right? My personal opinion is that you can walk out of that, but no one can take that away from you. But, if, but if, if the enemy cannot stop you from going to heaven, he can do everything to stop heaven coming through you. And so what he'll do is he will wage war up here and render you useless to the reproduction of the kingdom of God. So enemy schemes, number three, you can see it up there, oppression. So the foothold, enough ground gives way to building a stronghold. And once the enemy has built a stronghold, he oppresses you. He throws, he, he, he works on capturing your soul, enslaving your soul to a life of oppression. And what is oppression? It's unjust or cruel exercise of authority or power. Something that oppresses, especially in being an unjust or excessive exercise of power. The sense of being weighed down in body or mind. Depression. That's an actual definition. Oppression. Unjust or cruel exercise of authority. Well, the enemy doesn't have any authority over me. True, until you give it to him. 
See, demonic spirits, when they were created, they were angels and they had all the power and all the authority that God had created them to have. But when they were cast out of heaven, they lost their authority, but they still have their power. And when you open the door, most of the time willingly or just very ignorantly, we open the door and the enemy comes in, we now have given him permission. And he takes authority in the place that he's been given it. But if you're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is convicting you, he's washing you, you're like, Lord, is there any wicked way in me? Circumcise that thing out of my heart. And we're walking in that posture before the Lord. It doesn't give the enemy a foothold because we're walking in a posture of repentance. And what's happening is the Holy Spirit is saying, oh yeah, see the way you just responded to Pastor Kurt yesterday at church? Yeah, I want to cut that out of you because that sounded a little arrogant. That sounded a little prideful. That sounded a little pitiful for all you self-pity folks out there. You have no idea what I've been through. Just keep telling yourself that, that you're all alone and nobody else cares, nobody else understands. That's self-pity. And eventually you become so prideful about how, of how low you are. That is pride. The pendulum just swings the other direction. And that holds itself up against the knowledge of God. Because Jesus said, I came that you may have life and life more abundant. And that is robbing the kingdom from coming through you. Oppression. The repeated striking over and over and over again on your mind with human reasoning, with lies and accusations and temptations and pride and self-righteousness and shame is meant to wear you down and eventually breach the front line of your defense and bring your soul into captivity. You can leave that up there for a minute. It's a lot of writing if you want to write that. The repeated striking over and over and over again on your mind with human reasoning, lies, accusations, temptations, pride, self-righteousness, and shame is meant to wear you down and eventually breach the front line of your defense and bring your soul into captivity. That's what the enemy is trying to do. Finally, be strong. Be strong. Put on the full armor of God. Here's three points here that I want to make as we start to wind this thing down. You will not be able to withstand the repetitive attacks of the enemy without the armor of God. See, we think the armor, because partly because we're Americans and partly just because we're people, we think this armor is all about how we're going to run into this battle and cut off the enemy's head. Just think, we're not even going to have time to get into all the armor. That's like a whole class or five. Just think about the armor and all the pieces of the armor. What part of that is offensive? A helmet. What, are you going to headbutt people? 
I mean, you could virtually use all these pieces as armor if you needed to. If you're innovative, like if you watch the movie Gladiator, it's like anything dude gets his hands on turns into a weapon, okay? But when you really consider the full armor of God, a helmet, a breastplate, a belt, shoes of peace. Man, talk about a weapon of warfare. I propose to you, and you can argue with me later if you want, that the sandals of peace shod yourself Put on the sandals of peace. I propose to you, that is actually the number one strongest weapon in our world today outside of the loin belt of truth. Maybe we'll get there in a second. But to walk into an atmosphere of chaos, being clothed in peace, that is a powerful weapon against the schemes of the enemy. Then everyone's, oh my gosh, how do you feel? Are you okay? Everything's falling down around you. I'm fine. God's got this. I don't understand it. I don't understand why. I, I still can't fathom. My heart is broken right now. But all I know is God's got this. That's a defensive posture that brings it to the battle. All this weaponry is actually armor that stops the penetration from the enemy. You will not be able to withstand the repetitive attacks of the enemy without the armor of God. You will not be able to remain dressed in the armor of God if you are not filled with the power of God. You will not be, a, be filled with the power of God if you refuse to humble yourself before him and acknowledge your need for the Holy Spirit daily. This is the posture to be able to walk in and pursue the promises and the power of God. Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. Like Pastor Zach said last week, that sword went from pointed to laid low, to plow the ground. Is that your posture? Even Jesus, what? <laughs> I'm like, no, they don't need it. They don't need the deliverance team. Um, <laughs> even Jesus, when addressing Satan to his face with temptation, this is not how Jesus responded. You're just a filthy liar. You're the accuser of the brethren. You're a loser and you always lose. Jesus did not respond in that posture. He said, the word of God says. The word of God says. But this is what we do. We're like, the enemy's coming. And we're like, oh, I'm going to give it to him. He doesn't know what's coming at him. Jesus is like, Wusa, take it down a notch. Just stand firm. The enemy is like, yeah, don't you want to punch me? Come on, don't you want to punch me? Why? Because we get all riled up and we swing. And he's like, you're exposed. I'm not a boxing expert, but all I know is that the whole time in the ring, it's a dance. They're moving around. They're waiting for the opportunity. And at the right moment, the guy goes in for some kind of blow and he goes back like this and hits. Why? Because you just exposed yourself. 
too slow. But this is what we do. But you will not be filled with the power of God if you refuse to humble yourself before him and acknowledge your need for the Holy Spirit daily. If you guys would stand up with me, we're going to close with this here. There are two infillings of the Holy Spirit. One is the initial infilling of the Holy Spirit when you get saved. Ephesians 2, right? You were sealed. You belong to him. He took his signet ring with his crest on it and he put it in the fire until it was red hot and then he put it on your heart and he branded you by his fire. You belong to him. You are his. And that branding was the filling of the Holy Spirit. You are filled with him. Your your spirit is saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Spirit and going to heaven. And the enemy's like, well, we lost another one to that. Get him. Because the second infilling of the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit comes and fills you to overflowing. And there's a work that starts to happen in you. I'm just going to finish, read this one part right here. I'm, I can't even get into verse 12, all of the different aspects of verse 12. Against, against, not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against powers, against the world forces of darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. These are all different battalions of demonic spirits that are trained and deployed in certain ways. Just like the U.S. military, think about it. We have like the Marines and we have the Navy SEALs and we have the Rangers. We have all these different, we have just have infantry, okay? There's all different ranks and different uh, training, different expertise of how they attack. I can't even get into all that this morning. Verse 13, therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day. Every day is the evil day because every day the battle wages. This isn't, I mean, this could technically be one day, like maybe the day you get martyred. Okay? Every day. And having done everything to stand firm. This doesn't happen by accident. You must partner with the Holy Spirit to be clothed in the armor. To be strong enough to carry the weight of this armor into a battle. Verse 14 Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. It's the only part of the armor I'm actually going to hit on for one second as I close. Gird, gird your loins with truth. This is a belt they would strap around them. And it was all these like, fringy, leathery, chainmail th- stuff that hung off the front to protect yourself against the low blow, right? But that belt of truth, the thing about that, that belt is so important is that, number one, it's the first thing listed in this list of armor. The first one, the belt of truth. Why? This is the central 
part to the armor, all the rest of the armor actually revolves around this one piece, the belt of truth. See, your breastplate had these straps that actually went through to the belt and you would tie it down tight so that when you were running, the breastplate wasn't flinging everywhere. It was held tight to your body. The belt also had a sheath or a hook on it that you'd put your sword on. All the other parts, they all like stemmed off of the center, the core of who you are. It protects your core and it protect, protects your reproductive organs. What is the belt of truth? The word of God. Wait, I thought the sword was the word of God. It does say that. The sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. That is the spoken word of God. That's your weapon. That's your weapon. When, you're, when you start getting in a battle and you feel like the enemy's coming at you, do not quote me. That is not gonna get you far. Don't quote Pastor Zach. Don't quote Bill Johnson. Don't quote Gandhi. Because the life and the power is in the word of God. This is the central part of our armor. Everything comes off of this. This is where the power is. The word of God. You've got to get into the word of God. So this morning, if you feel like that you've been failing at this, welcome to the club. We're not all perfect at this. That's why this is a teaching. This is a training. The Lord is calling us up higher. Will there be an uprising? Or will there be an uprising? Will you rise up to where the Lord is calling you to live? Taking, taking captive of our thoughts. See, this is not a work of you. This is a work of the Holy Spirit. But you must posture yourself and partner with him. So if that's you this morning, I'm not going to ask you to come down. What I'm going to ask you to do is if you want to posture yourself to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in a greater way today than you were yesterday, if you want to be clothed with the might and the power of God to stand firm against the enemy, then what I want you to do is like, just put your hand like right here. This is your spirit. Put your hand on you. And I'm going to pray a prayer for you. I'm going to read this prayer. This piece out of Ephesians chapter 3. Don't put it up on the screen. I'm just going to read it from the New Living Translation. But right before I read it, I'm just going to pray and I'm going to go right into that. Heavenly Father, forgive me for my lackadaisical, apathetic approach to walking in the fullness of the power of your kingdom. God, and I repent. God, forgive me for every time I let my imaginations just run wild or 
God, when I was entertaining gossip and slander, or when I was the root of the gossip or slander, God, forgive me for my pride or my false humility. God, forgive me for allowing shame and condemnation to just like wreak so much havoc in my life or being one that perpetuates condemnation and shame in somebody else. God, forgive me, Lord. God, I want to be a part of what you're doing here, Lord. And I want to be a part of your kingdom. And Lord God, I want to be used by your spirit to reproduce the kingdom of God. And God, forgive me for every time I've allowed this stuff in me for all the, the footholds I gave the enemy, Lord, and I repent. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would come now and help me tear down these strongholds in my life. I don't want them here anymore. I don't want to allow the enemy to wreak havoc in my life anymore and to oppress me and keep my soul in this prison. Life more abundantly? I don't even feel like I have an abundance of life. I feel like I'm barely getting by. And Lord, I'm asking, Lord, that you would just forgive me and I repent. And I'm going to pray this prayer from Paul. And I'm going to declare this over all of you this morning. Ephesians 3.14, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and pray to the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and the power that comes from God. Now all glory to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Jesus Christ through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. I love you guys. Be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Love you guys. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.